Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. We're having a little technical difficulty, but we're off and running. And uh, we're going to go through Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on who you're listening to and how to pronunciate it. Uh, anyway, the uh, we did Chapter 1, and we had an introduction recording in the previous shows. And uh, now we're going to be getting into uh, Chapter 2. These are really short chapters, and... And uh, there's somebody who reads them online. You can narrates the whole Bible. He's English fellow, and uh, he does a really good job of just reading the words. And what we're trying to do with these studies of Nahum and Amos and and uh, even the New Testament, the epistles of Paul, is to give you deeper insight into the words that you will hear or read yourself. When you read the text uh, of the different books of the Bible and epistles of the Bible, so that you will have a richer understanding of what it's actually saying, because there's a lot of people, you know, who who read the Bible on a regular basis, even study the Bible, and they don't understand it, and or they have a limited understanding of it. And that limited understanding leaves out some actual, you know, critical points that Christ and all the prophets, John the Baptist and Habakkuk and uh, Nahum and Amos and Elijah and Jeremiah and even David, who wasn't really considered a prophet, but Paul quotes David talking about what should have been for your welfare becoming a snare. And as we'll read and have read already in Habakkuk, he talks about a net that snares the people. And the people actually serve the net because it fattens them. The net. How does a net fatten you? And so, you know, if you just have somebody with a delightful English accent, uh, reading the Bible with all that feeling and gusto, it's uh, almost musical to listen to them. But it doesn't mean you understand them. Uh, and so, anyway, that's what we want you to do is understand them. To Because in understanding, you can actually have a real relationship with the real Christ, the real God, the real Yahweh, the real Lord of creation. And that relationship will bind you in that understanding and in the love you have for that which you understand. The problem is, is that when we try to explain, and, and, and you'll see that this is what we're told to do, to make it clear what is written. In the text, we're supposed to make it so that you can understand it. But when we do that, a lot of people don't like it. They don't like what they hear. 
because of the fact that it conflicts with what they already want to believe is true. And one of the things that when you begin to understand what Christ was really talking about, you often find that you have been in error. You have drunken the wine of deception and have gone about like a drunken man thinking that you are serving Christ and you are actually not serving Christ, but you are servants of the net, servants of iniquity, servants of the bloody city. And uh, this is what we see talked about by him, but you may not make those connections. You do not know that you are caught in a net. You, you do not know that what should have been for your welfare has become a snare, a net, a prison, a yoke of bondage where you are actually serving evil, an evil system, an evil empire, an evil religion, an evil imperial cult. You know, a lot of people always, because we say things that are so different, they one of the first things a lot of people, well, are they a cult? <laughs> no. The Imperial Roman cult. One of the things about a cult is you're not allowed to leave. Uh, this is this is in, in the nature of the cult. If you try to leave, you know, they're going to serve you Kool-Aid and kill you in the woods. You know, like what, Jim Jones. When people were starting to figure out that Jim Jones was a fraud and were starting to think, and it took quite a while for some of them to figure it out. Uh, they uh, they fed them all Kool-Aid, poison Kool-Aid, and killed them. I don't know how many people died altogether. Quite a few people died. Some kids fled into the jungle. Some people fled into the jungles and had quite an adventure trying to survive and eventually did. And then tell the story. But you wonder, how did people get to such a point of such irrational behavior to go out into the wilderness like that where people were starting to die and perish and they were in prison? Of course, that was a cult. And there was no escape from that cult. cult. Uh because they don't, that's the, the nature of a cult. And that's why you have these groups. And we have several pages on cults where guys intervene and they, they try to get somebody who's caught up in a cult and they try to get them to think differently, to, to look at the reality that they're caught up in a cult and that they're not really thinking for themselves, that somebody else is controlling their mind. And, uh, the reality is, you know, if you watch CNN on a regular basis, you're a member of a cult. <laughs> They're seducing your mind to think a certain way. I saw somebody that was on a plane. It was evidently, uh, I think it was going to England or something. It might have been an English plane or maybe it was Australian But because uh, I could hear an accent there. But uh, she didn't want to sit next to somebody. She wanted him to be moved. She wanted to... Because the fact he did not have a vaccine passport and she had been vaccinated to protect her children. And, but so evidently she knew that her vaccination didn't make her safe. 
She supposedly got it to make her children safe, but somehow or other, be sitting next to somebody who wasn't vaccinated, she was now in jeopardy. I thought the vaccine was supposed to keep people from getting it. But, of course, that's not the case with this thing that they're calling a vaccine. But she was throwing quite a fit. She wanted him moved, and there was no other place to move him. And the stewardess were trying to say that, uh, you know, this is assigned seating, and we can't put you anywhere else. And and she was just throwing this fit. But it was such an irrational. She had no understanding of what she was talking about. But she was very emotional about the whole thing. Thought that she, she was now in danger because somebody next to her wasn't vaccinated. But if she was, wasn't she safe? Uh, and, and he was the one in danger? Uh, shouldn't he be complaining having to sit next to somebody who could be carrying the virus and he's unprotected? But it was the other way around because she was so irrational. Well, they finally, she just was removed from the plane. They said that they're not going to accommodate her and they're not going to create second class citizens who don't have because you don't have to have the vaccination to fly on that particular airlines at that particular time and so she had to leave uh, they weren't going to accommodate her and so i guess she did but uh, the reality is is that may not always be the case there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on and you have to wonder you know because there's this difference of opinion and, you know, you you hear something on the news, but then you actually go to the scientists and they tell you, you know, well, no, you can still get it even though you're vaccinated. You can still carry it even though you're vaccinated. You can give it to other people even though you're vaccinated. And And the real science, if you've already had it, you probably can't get it, can't carry it, and can't give it to anybody else. So those are the ones you want to sit next to. <laughs> It's the ones that have natural immunity because this injection doesn't give you immunity. And that's that's the science. That's what the CDC says. That's what the WHO says. That's what they all say. That's what the actual scientific reports are saying from Israel and Scotland and Oxford and all these places. But it isn't always what the media says or the politicians say. So people don't understand. And when you try to explain to them, they, they cannot hear it. It's because they have some faith in some source of information that has become like a God to them. It's become like a religion. And if you say anything countering what they have accepted in their minds, in their medical cult or their uh, news cult that they listen to, you're the enemy. They can't reason outside of what they have accepted already as true. I mean, and it would take humility to to have the conversation even. And you see so many people over the last five years, ten years, twenty years, increasingly not wanting to have the conversation, wanting to shout people down, wanting not to talk. And even those who say they want to talk, and they want to have the conversation. An awful lot of them won't like having a conversation with me <laughs> or with us because we're going to bring up what they don't want to know. Now, obviously, she 
She didn't want people to bring up what she didn't want to know. She wasn't going to accept anything. She, it was just, she was just sealed. Her mind was sealed already in a certain way of thinking. Well, this morning, uh, you know, pretty early, I was out on the desert and uh, checked my phone and saw somebody posting something on faith, Facebook that they were a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And they serve him only. But in Humbacook, we're going to see that people were actually serving the net. So, can you can you serve the net? Uh, and why are you serving the net? And what, what what's he talking about? Well, you have to know what the net is. And so I I posted back to him real quick, just a you know a, a response to what uh, he was saying, and I just quoted Luke sixteen thirteen. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one. And love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's a pretty short statement, and we see the same thing in Matthew 6, 24. Uh, Very clearly, that you can't have two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. So, what is mammon? Now, there should be no debate as to what is mammon. Because historically, we know what the word means. We know how it was used in texts of the time. And that mammon was basically, it's an Arabic word that means entrusted wealth. And where was that wealth entrusted? It was usually entrusted in a temple, like at the temple at Ephesus or the temple at Jerusalem. Uh, They had treasuries there. There was the gastrophone. That was one treasury. There was the Corbin. That's another treasury. We we see the word Corbin, and it actually means in the Hebrew sacrifice. But if you put all your sacrifices in, you know, a vault, then that vault would be called the Corbin because it has all your sacrifices in it. And, of course, the word is translated... Uh, one time we see it in the Bible as Corbin in the New Testament, and the other time we see it as treasury. You could they couldn't put the money uh, from Judas Iscariot who, when he was trying to give it back. They couldn't put it in the Corbin. That's actually what they say. They translate it there to treasury, but it actually means Corbin. But that would be the mammon. That's the entrusted wealth. That's what's on deposit. And why was it on deposit? Well, there's two. And how did it get on deposit? And understanding that will help you understand what Matthew was talking about, what Luke was talking about, and what Habakkuk was talking about. We'll be back to talk about that after this brief break. Well, welcome back. So, what is uh, all the? What does Mammon have to do with the Habakkuk? And what does it have to do, why Why did Jesus say to be friends with the unrighteous mammon so that you will be more suitable to the righteous mammon? You know, you know so that you will be accepted uh, by the righteous mammon. So there is a righteous mammon and there is an unrighteous mammon. And so what's the difference? And how does one get to be unrighteous and one be righteous? 
Well, I saw another post from a dear friend in a nearby valley, and uh, he he posted just a little little picture that uh, taxation is theft. It was on a on a some sort of form or something. He had stuff redacted on it, but you just saw this one little verse: taxation is theft. Taxation is not really. Theft. It is usually the result of a covetous practice, usually by the person being taxed. <laughs> but people don't want to see that. They don't want to see that they've been covetous. And maybe they're not really. They may. It may have been their parents that were covetous. Their parents who made bad choices. And of course, it may have been their grandparents that started it. You know. Israel was 400 years in bondage. You're talking quite a few generations in bondage in Egypt. All because 11 brothers chose to sell one of their brothers into bondage. And so all 11 went into bondage. And their children and their children's children and their children's children's children were in bondage for 400 years. And then God sent Moses to help free the people from that bondage, from that net, from that snare that they were in. Because they coveted their brother's position, power, coat of many colors. They were jealous and envious. And they were willing to sell their brother into bondage. And their, and their own cousins went along with this. The Ishmaelites were actually cousins of Joseph. And so, yeah, how you got into bondage, well, that's your own personal story. And, uh, and, and everybody's story is a little different. But you're in bondage because of covetous practices. And if you want God to hear your voice, and Habakkuk talks about that, uh, and, and so does the New Testament talk about whether God will hear you or not. And certainly the Old Testament talks in First Samuel 8 that God will not hear you in that day. Go and cry unto the gods that you have chosen for yourself, the rulers, the kings that you have chosen for yourself, the men who can exercise authority for you uh, get to exercise authority over you. You know, the government that can give you everything you want is the government that can take away everything you have. So, this is, this is where we end up with. And, and in, and Matthew, he's talking about daily bread. You know, this is in thy kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And how to pray. And not to pray to the fathers of the earth. And so he's talking about all this, and then he's all of a sudden talking about you can't serve God and mammon. Because mammon is the social safety net of a society. It's the entrusted wealth of society supposedly to help take care of society in the time of need. You know, that's what pure religion is. How to take care of the, you know, the widows and orphans and the needy of society. Through faith, hope, and charity. That's pure religion. Impure religion is to try to take care of the widows and orphans and needy of society through force, through the unrighteous mammon. 
to compelled offerings, to taxation, not to charity. So, if you want God to hear you, start serving God by serving one another. God doesn't need your help. God's doing fine. But God's creation, which is your neighbor, they sometimes need help. And they need help that strengthens them, not makes them weak, not makes them dependent. You don't want to give them wine and, and get them drunk. You don't want them get drunk on benefits, you know, where they become complacent and where they think the world owes them a living, like the cricket and the ant, the grasshopper and the ant, at least the way Walt Disney presents it. (laughs) The ant went around fiddling while they, I mean, not the ant, but the grasshopper went around fiddling while the ants went to work. And supposedly in the... Well, Disney's version of that, the ants end up becoming friends with the grasshopper and invite him in and he survives through the winter because the ants like to hear his fiddling and dancing. <laughs> well, that's not the way the original story went. He got to come into the ant bed, but he was dinner. <laughs> so, and uh, so anyway, that's that's another story. So... We do want to cover Habakkuk and get to that. Now, it really only takes a couple of minutes to read it, but it may take you years to understand it. I studied this all when I was in the seminary, studied Matthew and Luke and the epistles and everything, and kept asking questions and not getting answers. I didn't get answers till I came out to the de- desert. <laughs> then God... I finally said to God I couldn't figure it out and he started giving me answers. And now according to Habakkuk, uh, I got to write this down so that you can understand it. And so we did, uh, I did put summaries on the page and I may re-edit those, but the summaries are full of links so that you can go see. And, you know, summary of chapter one was really quick is though we cry out because of the burden of violence and iniquity. Now, what's the violence? Forced offerings. That's what they're talking about. But if you depend upon forced offerings of your neighbor to provide you with the welfare of your society, the mammon, the the, uh, religion of your society, religion is how you take care of the needy of society. I know you think it's what you think about God, but that's not the original definition. It's what you do to take care of the needy of society. Very clear in the New Testament. Old Testament doesn't even mention religion. <laughs> we don't see the word. But that's what they're doing in the Old Testament, is they figured out a way to take care of the needy of society without a Pharaoh, without a Caesar, without a Nimrod, without a Lamech. They did it through faith, hope, and charity, through free will offerings. Charity is not mentioned in the Old Testament either, but free will offerings is. So, you have to think in concepts and not just in words. But they cry out because of the violence, because of the oppression, because of the force. They've empowered somebody, the Pharaoh... It was great, the Pharaoh fed the people through the famine at first, but a new Pharaoh came along and he was abusive. The power had corrupted him. Kind of like Saul. The power corrupted him and he's forcing the offerings of the people. And that's iniquitous. That's iniquity. That you're electing men 
to be the rulers over you that's going to force your neighbor to, you know, pay for your college education or to give you Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security and free education through public education. You're forcing your neighbor to do this. Or you're going to take his house away. Maybe even put him in prison if he doesn't pay for those things that you want. If he thinks those things that you want are bad for you and he decides not to pay into them. Now, I have to assume he doesn't have a contract to pay into them. He probably does. He may not want to admit that either, but we explain that you do. That's why I wrote the whole book, Covenants of the Gods, to show you at least 15 different ways that you contract with the government all the time. To, usually to get benefits, sometimes in ignorance, but usually it's connected somehow to a benefit. Because they bait the net. (laughs) They say, you know, what should have been for your welfare, you thought, has actually become a snare, a net, a trap. You know, that's just the way it is. So anyway, in this uh, summary, it says the law is slack and the judgment seems slow and uh, incoming because the wicked surround us with injustice. Because the people heard not the cries of their neighbor, neglecting the weightier matters. Weightier matters that Christ mentions, because the people were not attending to the weightier matters. Jesus Jesus gives us a list of the weightier matters, which includes the whole concept of law and judgment and mercy and faith. Now, you know, in the news this week, there's... Uh, the trial of the boy in Kenosha who, 17 years old, was defending his neighbor's property and helping people and caring for people uh, during violent riots where the police station was being burned down and, and uh, people were putting up fiery blockades to keep the police from coming and protecting the people. So he was protecting the people in the absence of the police, which he has every right to do. Even though he supposedly didn't have a right to carry a weapon, according to the U.S. Title 10, he did have a right to carry a weapon because he's a member of the militia. He didn't join the militia. He's just 17. And according to the Title 10, and I'm sure the lawyers aren't putting this together, but and they need to eventually because they, they may catch him on the technicality, this legal technicality, that he was holding this gun that he wasn't supposed to hold for another month or so. And it was his gun, but he wasn't to have custody of it, and he didn't have custody of it until that night. And necessity said he needed custody of it. He, he he was being attacked because he had a fire extinguisher. And he defended himself against armed aggressors <laughs> who were trying to shoot him and club him and strangle him. And, uh, and uh, I won't say all the things that they said they were going to do. <laughs> but, and, uh, but he was technically a member of the militia according to the U.S. Code. Simply by being able-bodied and 17 years of age. And the police weren't there. The military weren't there. They couldn't get there. The rioters had blocked them and were attacking them. And so he had every right to be armed. But people don't see that. Most of the people don't see it. The news people don't see it. I don't even know if the people defending them understand that. 
But then there's so many things that people don't understand. But I'm supposed to make it clear according to what Habakkuk is saying that God is saying. So we're going to get into it more and more. The last little bit of the summary of the first chapter is, but the terrible and dreadful judgment will snare the people in captivity. Done deal. You're already in captivity. That's why you're taxed. Because Proverbs tells us the slothful shall be under tribute. So you're already under tribute because of your covetous practices. You've gone back to the bondage of Egypt because you were willing to put your neighbor into bondage so that you could have free stuff. Very simple idea. Not easily to accept because in order to accept it, you have to realize that what you had been thinking was incorrect. And you have to think a different way to hold that idea in your mind. That's the commandment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. And why do you tell me you love Jesus and don't keep his commandments? Which includes loving thy neighbor, and it's not loving thy neighbor to covet thy neighbor's goods and ask men to go to your neighbor's house to force your neighbor to contribute to what you want. Because you want free stuff. Free education. You want somebody to take care of your parents. You know, Social Security, which is the Corbin of the Pharisees. That makes the Word of God the non-effect, but you don't care about that. You just want your free stuff. But you also want to be free. Well, those are two ideas that just do not fit together. That's going to create a conflict in your mind. And that conflict is called cognitive dissonance. You're trying to hold this dissonance. You're trying to hold two ideas in your mind at the same time. I love Jesus. I just don't want to do what he says. And with that will come paranoia, anxiety, bipolarism. OCD, I, I was cleaning the other day. Uh, we have a, we have a, a quarters that we let people stay in when they come out. And right now I have to stay in it because the sheep are out in the desert and I keep them in a pen so they don't have to walk all the way back here. And, uh, so I have to watch them at night because coyotes are around, bobcats are around, uh, even mountain lions occasionally. So I, I sleep there right by the pen and listen for coyotes <laughs> and see if they get into the sheep. So I'm protecting the sheep all night and I'm protecting you guys all day. But while I was I was cleaning up after somebody who had been there and it was quite dirty, a lot more dirty than I realized until I got to cleaning. My eyes aren't what they used to be. But when you start putting your hand on. So I was cleaning for hours and hours and... And discovering a lot of stuff. And there was, I could feel, not much anger, but I could feel a little bit of impatience growing up in me. But I have to, I have to look at that impatience. And that was a wonderful opportunity to look at that impatience. And realize that I'm impatient. And that sometimes I'm not as tolerant as I should be, as forgiving as I should be. I have to leave judgment to God and not judge other people. So it was all a great opportunity and I I did my work gladly once I was willing to see my impatience trying to grow in me. That 
God weeded it out of me. And so, everything got cleaned. <laughs> and uh, the work was a joy. And I didn't write the individual who left the mess. <laughs> he probably doesn't even think he left the mess. He probably thought he left everything neat. But he doesn't see well either. And that's the problem. is We don't always see what we need to see. And most of that insight will come when we look inside ourselves. And so that's what we're seeing in Habakkuk. Is he's telling us to look at the problem, which is us. This, this terrible and dreadful judgment will snare the people in captivity everywhere and grind the people into dust. They will serve uh, the curse that snares them, serve the net that has cursed them with bondage. And, uh, but they will also despise uh, the princes, etc. But uh, the wicked will surround the righteous. So there will be some people who want to do the right thing. But they will be surrounded by so many unrighteous people who are so sure that they're right because they're the members of what at the time of Christ was the Roman imperial cult or the Corbin of the Pharisees, which was also a cult. Once you signed up, you couldn't get out. Well, Christ provided them a way out uh, as it was beginning to fail. And you could become a Christian. Because they they made a rule in the pharisaical cult that was providing the social welfare through this system of Corbin, this mammon, this entrusted wealth. That if you got the baptism of Jesus, they found Jesus in such contempt, that if you got his baptism, you were cast out of the system. So now this is a way out. You couldn't get out otherwise. This is the thing about a cult. You can't get out. You can not like it. You can shake your fist at it. You can complain about it. You can fill out your own personal paperwork. But you're a surety for debt. You can't undo that with your paperwork. So you're bound in that system. That's why I wrote these books. To show you how you get bound in the system. And took them to top attorneys to say, is this correct? And attorneys I trusted, my own father. And they said, yeah. They were shocked, some of them. Uh, my dad was kind of blown away. He wrote law books. But uh, when I took them to attorneys uh, in Washington, D.C., they were blown away. They said they, one of them came to me and said, you know, kind of, they always, I always think it's funny that people start to whisper. <laughs> That's what I listen. Like, why are you whispering? You know, do the ear, did the walls have ears? <laughs> he said, we were in this office just last week with 14 other people trying to figure out how to withdraw consent. And then you sent us this book. Well, they agreed. And they went and got all kinds of other attorneys to look at. They agreed with what I had in the book, which is the Free Church Report. And I, I gave them a bigger copy than I'm selling now, but uh, or that is free online. I don't really sell it. I mean, we will make a copy for a price, but you can download it yourself and take it to Kinko's and print it. it it's It's there. But, uh, and all the information is in the footnotes. But, unless you're willing to understand what 
Habakkuk was talking about, and Paul was talking about, and the early church was doing, it's not going to do you any good. But it's it's showing you how to get ready to withdraw consent, but there has to be this moment where they say that if you get this baptism, if you go this way, you're cast out. And that was a big deal for the Israelites and the Jews who lived in Judea. Because they instantly had to put their own system into place. Because you have to remember, when they left Egypt, they left with all the old people, all the young people, the infirm, everybody. They couldn't just, you know, just the young guys take off. They had to take the whole of society and they had to care about everybody in this group as much as they cared about themselves. Or it's just not going to work because they're heading out to rough country. And the country that is coming up to meet you is going to be rough as well. But right now you're surrounded by the wicked. And uh, people are snared by their appetite and serve the system that captures them. Until the nations are slain. And that's what we're seeing. It's actually unfolding right before our eyes. So, anyway. So, now we're going to get into Habakkuk 2 and and start reading it. And hopefully we'll have enough to get all the way through. Like I said, it's really rather short. But there's so many different pieces of the puzzle. We can start reading it at uh, verse, the very first verse. Uh, I will stand upon my watch... And set me upon the tower. And will watch to see what he will say unto me. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Now, that is just so full of information that write it upon tables. Interesting concept. And I should put in the word. I probably will go back and do that and show you what that meaning of the word tables is. And he may run that readeth it. In other words, go. Go quickly. Him that readeth it. Because it's plain. It's it's clear. It shows you what you need to do. And of course Christ was telling us what we needed to do. You needed to start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. He trained up disciples. He told the people to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He actually told his disciples to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Which is a voluntary system. Now some people like to quote that and they say, well it just says fifties. And hundreds. Well, actually, it, it, uh, is it parousia? Is the word that they have there. And there's also a symposia that we see, uh, in, in reference to the same, uh, period of time, which is small groups of ten. Synagogues were ten families. And you get ten families together and they connect themselves through this network of ministers. This is what Israel had been doing for thousands of years. This is what people had been doing for thousands of years. And when you had ten groups of ten, you had a hundred. And if you had fifty groups of that hundred, 
well, now you got 5,000 men and their families. And that's what he's talking about. That's just why he repeats several words, rank upon rank, until you got fifties and hundreds. And understanding how the Greeks wrote down math, you would understand that he's talking about the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So, but we don't want to quibble over that. What we want to do is see what it is that we need to do so clearly that we will all run to do it. And we will look at that in greater detail when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. It's funny, uh, when I was uh, looking over the verse that I just read, I, I went and looked at one of the footnotes to see what I had, uh, why I put a particular footnote in. And uh, I was reading the footnote and I realized that uh, I had a slight little typo. I changed one letter, a Hebrew letter, from a tzedek to a aeon. And that was not correct. <laughs> and I saw it right away. I just looked at it. My eyes just went as poorly as they are. I went right to it and saw, that's not correct. That is not what it's <laughs> And you would think, well, that what's one letter? Well, one letter can mean a lot. It can be the difference between a hit and a miss. And so I needed to uh, to fix that. And, of course, I did. So, what is that one letter? And, well, I'm not going to tell you what I fixed. I fixed it during the break. And, uh, and, but in that very first verse, it says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. And I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Reproved. So the fact is, is the the prophet knew he had to look, he had to wait upon the Lord. That's what you know. We we try to explain meditation is waiting upon the Lord. It's waiting for what God has to tell you. It's not you telling God what He ought to be doing. It's you admitting that you don't know what to do, and God has to tell you. And the tower, it's it's supposedly this. This high place in your mind. And, uh, you know, we see it in the translation, uh, at least in the King James, as at, at, at this tower. But the, the reality is that when we, it, when you read it in, in some places, it's, it's not. It's not written as towers, written as a rampart. Uh, and it's, it's a particular word. And uh, it, it, it can be spelled in a particular way so that we understand what uh, that uh, particular verse is trying to explain to us about this whole thing with uh, Habakkuk and uh, this chapter 2. Because he's, he's going up, he's put into this tower, into this high place, the high place of his mind, and... Uh, and he is waiting upon the Lord to understand what it is that God wants him to see. And then the Lord answered him. And he has to write this vision, this this explanation that has come from God, from the Holy Spirit. He has to write it down so that other people can read it and make it so clear that they will know 
which way to go with this, which way to run. They read it, read it, and they run with it. And it, you have to really make it clear. But ultimately, the people have to be able to receive that truth. And we we see the words of you know this uh, this word that uh, that's in the text, and that we're trying to understand. And uh, the, uh, the these the ramparts uh, and this set myself in this tower. And uh, the word there that you actually see uh, is where they is this three three two zero in the concordance, and uh, it's it's really pretty simple little word. But it's Yad Tzedek be it. And it has a particular meaning. Except for when you actually go to the Hebrew text, you know, if you look in your concordance, it would tell you that that's the word there. This Yad Tzedek be it. But when you actually go to the Hebrew text, that's not what you see. You, you see in another word, much more complicated word. Which is Bob, Elif, Tav, Yad, Sedek, be it, hey. <laughs> but the concordance with this tell you is this three letter word. So what's the Bob, Elif, Tav? Well, I've already started working on uh, some of the Psalms, which are as rich in this information as anything that you could expect. And uh, you'll see this Vav, Tav there. Here we have Vav Eliftov. Remember, Vav is this connecting word, or it can be this veil between two connecting points. And Elif has to do with the divine spark, and Tav has to do with faith. So this high tower is a place of faith. It's a place of the divine spark, where you are connecting the divine spark with your faith. And Sedek has to do with righteousness, and be it has to do with house, and this house of righteousness. And and then hay has to do with this emphasis of it. So it's not just about, you know, it's translated stand a lot of times. But it actually means more than just stand. It has to do with this uh, position of Accepting what God has to show you. Willing to see what God has to show you. Not what you imagine. See, a lot of times we create God in our minds. This is a, this is the idolatry of the modern religion is they create a Jesus in their mind. They create a God in their mind. They, they go and they, they like, they can figure it out and they do all this studying. And you can't figure it out. It can be shown to you. And you can listen, and God will show you, and then you will know what God is actually saying. And, and But those who see this are supposed to write it down so it's real clear to everybody else. Because it's a little ambiguous in the Bible. not it, it, Because it's cloaked in symbolism. Hebrew language is full of this symbolism. So, you have to... The prophet has to go into this tower this high place of his own mind and shut up and listen 
and wait upon the Lord. And the Lord answereth him and said, Write this vision down that I'm giving you and make it plain upon tables, tablets, on something in, to do with this table. And he may, the people may run and know where to run when they read it, what you've written down. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Now this was for that time. But it's also for ours because this is we're in the same universe that God created. And this is built into the creation of God. What he's talking about is built into the creation of God. We see the unrighteous encompassing the righteous. We see the injustices all around us. We see the violence. We see the net that people are captured back in the bondage of Egypt. That's always just a sounding way. I ask people like, okay, the bondage of Egypt, you had to give 20% of your labor to the government and you were considered in this bondage of Egypt, which we were never to go back to. And yet, today, Americans owe 20, 30, 40, 50% of their labor to the government. It's collected a lot of different ways, income tax, property tax, sales tax, uh, and all the other taxes, use taxes. And you have to pay way more than they had to pay in Egypt. And you call it freedom. So is it bondage or is it freedom? I mean, like, are you free or not? You know, like the guy who was saying that he's a bond servant of Christ. Well, are you serving two mammons? Are you serving two masters? Uh, And the fact is, is that you may be serving two masters. You may have to serve two masters. But I don't think he wants to see it because I posted it early, early this morning, long before the sun came up. And I haven't seen anything come back. <laughs> but maybe he's still reading the article on Mammon. But uh, that's where we're at. Is that we're back in the bondage of Egypt. We're back where Habakkuk, where violence is used to provide you with the benefits. Where you serve the net. That you were trapped in. Because you like the benefits. I had the conversation with somebody else in that same valley nearby. That were, wanted everybody to fill out this paper so they could get a grant. And I quoted to them Plutarch. I didn't want to quote John the Baptist. <laughs> or Jesus. But Plutarch said he who destroyed Rome. First spread amongst them. Grants and gratuities. And... Uh, of course, most of the people didn't get it. They Well, of course, that's how we get stuff. So we get it from men who exercise authority, men who take it away from somebody else so that we can have free stuff. We have an appetite for free stuff. We like getting free stuff. The heck with whoever they took it from. We don't even see them. <laughs> so, you know, the red button thing. So in verse 4 we see, Behold, his soul which is lifted up, is not upright in him. But the just shall live by faith. See, those people who want those benefits, they're not living by faith. 
They're not just. They're living by avarice and desire and wantonness. They want benefits. They don't care who it hurts to get them. They just want them. You know, like those liberal guys in that forum I talked about a couple of weeks ago who said, you know, how do we solve the problem? They said, kill the rich. <laughs> you know, well, which is why Bezos has such a high standard of security. <laughs> but yet he caters to the same mob who says those kinds of things. It's just astounding. We are not just. We don't live by faith. We live by force and violence. We want benefits and we want them now. <laughs> okay, now you say, I don't want the benefits. I don't want them now. I don't want to live by that force and violence. Okay, that's not enough. You want God to hear you, you have to start living by love. That's why you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and not just care about your own freedom and liberty, but care about your neighbor's freedom and liberty as much as you care about your own. You have to care about your neighbor's rights, your neighbor's health, your neighbor's well-being as much as you care about your own. And you have to admit, you have to go into the high tower of your own mind, into the inner temple of your own heart, and see the cognitive dissonance where you're trying to hold the idea that I can love Jesus while not keeping his commandments. When Jesus says, why do you say you love me when you keep not my commandments? Why why you still want to covet your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority one over the other when I said it's not to be that way with you? How can you hold such cognitive conflict in your mind at the same time? You're, you're under strong delusion. And you have to admit that. So verse 5, Yea, also because he transgressed by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home who enlargeth his desire as hell and is as death. And cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. The Great Reset. One world government. They're gathering everybody. How do they do it? They offer you the wine and free benefits at the expense of your neighbor. You get drunk on the blood. Wine is usually representing the blood. The blood of your neighbor. All these benefits are provided to you by the blood of your neighbor. The wine that you are drunk on. And the proud man doesn't want to admit that. He doesn't want to see that. Well, of course. That's how we get benefits. We take away from other people. But it's all fair. It's all done democratically. You know, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. God is in charge. And God says not to covet your neighbor's goods. If you're doing that, you're not in God's kingdom. You're in the unrighteous mammon. You, you, can, you can tell me you go to your home church or you're this church or you're that church and that you love Jesus. But if you're still coveting your neighbor's goods, if you still want to get benefits at the expense of your brother, raka to you. You're not really the faithful. You're a worker of inequity. You need to repent of that. You need to have a changing of your mind. And because they're going to drag you into the one world government. Uh, it's going to fail, of course. And, and the, the prophecy talks about that. 
But that's where you're headed. So verse 6, shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverbs against him and say, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. How long will you keep doing this? Getting stuff, you're increasing your benefits at somebody else's expense. How long? Well, unto you, because you keep doing that. You have to think differently. And to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. What clay? Adama? With the flesh of my neighbor? How long will you depend upon the flesh of your neighbor and the blood of your neighbor? You're not living by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're living by the blood of your neighbor if you're taking benefits through from men who exercise authority, who force your neighbor to contribute, you're eating meat with blood in it. You're eating meat of animals. Your neighbor's strangled by the power and force and violence of governments. But it's okay because some pastor told you it was okay. Some preacher said, oh, of course. Because you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, you're going to degenerate into a perfect savage. You're not going to regenerate into the born again. Because you're not living by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not eating the blood of Jesus Christ, which is willingly sacrificed out of love for you. That's why you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and willingly sacrifice for the love of one another. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your bread and food and whatever you want to share. Your neighbor needs it and you need to give it willingly in a way that strengthens the poor so that God will hear your prayers. Verse 7, Shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee and thou shalt be for booties unto them. The government, they could give you everything you want by biting your neighbor will bite you. You become human resources, booties. I should put a link there to merchandise. You shall become merchandise through this covetous practice of desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor. You will become merchandise, booties. Because thou hast spoiled many nations, many peoples, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of men's blood and for the violence of the land, of the city, of the civil system you've created, and of all that dwell therein. Woe to him that coveteth and evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the powers of evil, from, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of life. You created a social safety net based on covetous practices. you creating the unrighteous mammon To protect you against whatever might befall you. That's what you've done. 
FDR helped you, LBJ helped you, the socialists think it's great. They're so accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, they become social savages, perfect savages, and go about burning down cities with impunity. And the leaders protect them, but the people who protect the people are thrown into jail. (laughs) And you sit on your iPhones... And watch the trial and say, this is not fair, but you're not doing what Christ said to do. You're not running the way of righteousness. You're still not sitting in tens, hundreds, and thousands to take care of one another out of love. You're just shaking your fist at the unrighteous mammon. Because you don't like the results of the bondage of Egypt. Verse 10, Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people and hast sinned against thy soul. See this covetousness he just talked about. This coveteth and evil covetousness to his house to make your house more protected, more safe. You got health care, Medicare, Medicaid, you got somebody to take care of your parents, so you don't have to do any more ought for your parents. You've got the Corbin of the Pharisees to do that. And the Corbin of the Pharisees operated by force. It forced the contributions of the people. John the Baptist didn't do that. John the Baptist said, take care of one another through charity. Jesus said, take care of one another through charity. Jesus commanded that you be not like the governments of the Gentiles, who have men who exercise authority. They call themselves benefactors, but they exercise authority and take away from your neighbor. And those covetous practices, Peter says, will make you merchandise. But you don't hear any of that. You just got a preacher who says, you just love Jesus, and so therefore you're one of us, and therefore you are saved. You don't have to do what Jesus said. You can just pretend to be a Christian, but you're actually workers of iniquity, and they have seduced you with lies. So, for the stone shall cry out of the wall and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. What shall it say? Verse 12. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood. A city with blood. Woe unto him. That's what he says. Because that's what you've done. That's what FDR did. He, he's going to build and John, LBJ. I always thought it was funny. The FDR, LBJ. They got these initials. <laughs> and they were the big instigators. They're not the only ones, but they're the big, huge steps towards destruction. Because they built a town with blood. They forced the offerings of the people to provide you, or borrowed against the future, to provide you with all these benefits. And they established a city by iniquity, by the covetous practices that Jesus said don't do, Paul said don't do, Peter said don't do, because it'll make you merchandise and curse your children. But you keep doing. And you keep, I mean, we got people who are Christians, at least the atheists claim to be atheists. (laughs) Although we have some atheists that are closer to Christianity than some of the Christians, which we'll talk about at another time. Verse 13, Behold, is it not the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor 
in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity. For vanity. They don't want to admit they've really screwed up. They've gone back into the bondage of Egypt. They're not following Christ. They're not really Christian churches. They're churches that call themselves Christians. So therefore, they're churches that take the Lord's name in vain because they still go about coveting their neighbor's goods and say, we believe in Jesus. We still want to participate in our covetous practices. We don't want to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity like Christ commanded, like Moses commanded. We just want to call ourselves Christians or call ourselves Jews. If you would, if the Jews would follow Moses, they would be closer to Christianity than most of the Christians. But Jews don't even follow Moses. Hey, Ben Shapiro, he's a Pharisee. Orthodox. He's really sincere about his beliefs. And at times he's talking about not depending on the government. But he's still, I heard him the other day say, we need a social safety net. Well, I agree we need a social safety net. But only if it's based on charity. 100% based on charity. If it's based on force, you've taken a wrong turn. And you're going the wrong way. So, like I said, in verse 14, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink and putteth his bottle to him and maketh him drunk also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. The drunkenness is the drunk on this, the blood of your neighbors. And the nakedness is without authority. You're you're not you're back in the bondage of Egypt, naked. You know that was one of the things is that some people were not allowed to wear clothes in Egypt. They they were kept naked, supposedly. That's what it says. But really, the Levites were naked. That not entirely naked, but the people were to sew them underwear because they were naked. And they didn't want to, they didn't want to go up by steps because you would see their nakedness. It means without authority. They, they didn't have, the Israelites were running an entire nation and a whole system of social welfare with no, but no king. No one to exercise authority. They, they sat down in the tens, hundreds of thousands and took care of one another. Not only the charitable system, but this also put in place a judicial system where they could try people and if they got mistried on a local basis, they could appeal up to a network of charity, which produces a different kind of judge to listen. When you get away from that, and which they did under prosperity, they fell prey to to terrible uh, idea that Give us a king in First Samuel 8. And that king would take and take and take and take. And when they cried out, God would not hear them. That's where you're at. You have a rulers who are making laws and saying what is good and evil. Let's find the solution. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we see that this uh, Habakkuk is talking about building the city out of blood. Whose blood? The blood of your neighbor. Uh, because you build it based on covetousness. 
You covet a covetousness. You covet this idea of forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, taking care of your parents, taking care of the poor. So, you know, this is why, you know, the Democrats who are pushing this give less to charity than the Republicans who don't push it as much. But the reality is the reason the Republicans are having such a difficulty in defeating the the bad things brought about by the Democratic Party and is because they themselves are drunk also with the blood of their neighbor because you know this is why they're they're down there at the public school board meetings saying stop teaching our children critical race theory what you need to stop teaching your children is covetousness <laughs> Desiring public school education at the threat of taking away your neighbor's property through property tax is a covetous covetousness. <laughs> and you're okay with that. You just want it your way. You don't want them to teach CRT. You're already teaching them socialism by sending them to public education. You're already teaching them the way of the covetousness. You're already drunk with the blood of your neighbor. Because I can't teach my kids at home. I've got it. We, both my husband and my, I work. Or maybe you're not with your husband anymore because you couldn't forgive him. Or he's not with you because he couldn't remain faithful. I don't know. You got, you got a thousand reasons not to seek the kingdom of God. But I'm explaining to you, if you go that way, if you wear the thick clay of your neighbor to keep yourself comfortable, if you drink the blood of your neighbor, if you bite one another, you will be devoured. Now you're waking up, finding yourself devoured, and you're shaking your fist at the unrighteous mammon, but you still want to take the benefits of the unrighteous mammon. No, you have to repent. You have to think differently. You have to think the way of righteousness. There is a righteous mammon. There is an unrighteous mammon. The righteous mammon is the way of Christ. It's sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start taking care of one another. Start homeschooling. And if you were sitting in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you would have all kinds of resources to homeschool. You probably got some elderly people that got nothing to do all day. And they will help you with your homeschooling while you hold down two jobs. They would be glad to sit there with your kids and make sure that they're studying. I don't know what what the age of your kids are. I'm sure there's a variety of ages out there. But if you were in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, this would be all easier. Which is why Christ commanded that his disciples make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because then you're networked together. And then when the Great Reset finally gets here in full swing, and what we will see, the Chaldeans running about the world and this nation and other nations like Australia, etc., you know, trying to take the houses that don't belong to them, which we will see, you will also have a defense there. Because you will have created the bonds of righteousness. You will be more shaking your hands at the tax collector and, and, and your fist at them saying taxation is that. Taxation is what comes about when you're slothful. 
the slothful shall be under tribute. Slothful in what? Slothful in righteousness. And you've been slothful in righteousness. So, like I said in verse 17, For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, and the spoil of beasts, which are devouring you, which made them afraid because of men's blood, and for the violence of the land, of the city, the city built with blood, and of all that dwell therein, what profiteth the graven images that the maker thereof hath graven it, the molten image, and the teacher of lies, that, uh, what, what, what are they talking about? These graven images, the molten images, and the teacher of lies, that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. That's where you're at. Now, you, you say, well, we haven't made any graven images. The Constitution is a graven image. It's something made by the hand of man that you think will bring you salvation. And that's why I had to write a whole book, Contracts, Governments, and Constitutions, to show you that the Constitution is not your salvation. Trump is not your salvation. Electing a new soul is not your salvation. Even David was not your salvation. It's rare to find a leader like David, but David screwed up. Time and time again, the only difference between David and some of the others was that at least David repented. But the people were still being weakened by the presence of David. If you seek a ruler, a king, a president, a prime minister, whatever, instead of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, righteousness, which requires that you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start learning what it means to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, care about your neighbor's children, your children's education as much as you care about your own. But you have to see this. You've created these systems, and this is why you, you go up and you argue against these people, and you say, well, they are so dumb. They are so stupid. Well, that's because they've given their souls over to these ideas, these idols. So, verse 19, Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. What's the breath? What did Jesus do when he came out of the tomb? Walked up to the apostles and breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, what happened if you went up, and I don't want to pick on the individual, but I'll just use this character as an example. Pelosi. And Jesus went up to Pelosi and breathed on her and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Do you think Pelosi would receive the Holy Spirit? <laughs> no. She'll receive the gold and silver. She's wealthy. All the Mitch McConnell, wealthy. Super wealthy people. Uh, Maxine Waters, super wealthy people. How do they get so wealthy on congressmen and senators' salaries? Because they're laid over with gold and silver and riches. They will not receive the Holy Spirit. They're not, you might as well be talking to dumb stone. They're not gonna get it. And there's nothing, now, I, I hope they do. And I, again, I've mentioned some people. I, I'm not condemning those people. You know, I, I hope they see. I hope they awaken. 
You know, like Franklin Graham, who said that, you know, Jesus would have got the vaccination. I hope he awakens. And, and I don't know about his father. I know that his father's greatest fear, according to what he said out of his own mouth, is that when he dies and goes to heaven, that Jesus will say, get ye from me, you worker of iniquity. That's what he feared more than anything else in his old age. That's what he said. Wow. I thought, wow. I hope that's not prophetic. But that's between him and God. I don't want to judge any of these people. I don't want to condemn any of these people. I want you to wake up. I want you to receive the breath of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. And I don't want you to because Christ did not want you to. And I am a servant of Christ. And I want you to become a servant of Christ. And the way you do that is to serve one another. And the way to serve one another is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start sacrificing for others as if you would want them to sacrifice for you. And if they don't need help, then your minister should send it where it can do the most good. But in making that decision, hopefully he will grow drinking the wine of the blood of Jesus Christ, which is sacrifice. It is not covetousness. So verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Where is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Where is the Lord? Is it, is it in Jerusalem? Is it over there in Israel somewhere? Is it in your local church? The temple of the Lord is you. The Lord is in his holy temple if you be his holy temple. What does holy mean? We talk about holy. I know it shows up several times here, and I was going to bring it up. I, I, I pondered it several times. Holy has to do with separate. No, the guy who said that he is a servant of Jesus Christ, and he's a bond servant of Jesus Christ, I don't think he is. I don't know him personally. But just based on what I see most of the time, these ministers are bond servants of the net. It provides them with benefits that provides their congregations with benefits at the expense of others. It's not what the early church was doing. They were taking care of one another during famines and thirst through charity, which made the Romans very jealous and envious of them because they were actually much more efficient at it. And they, they were able to get the people through these hard times through the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Because they had already sat down in the tens, hundreds of thousands because Christ commanded that his disciples make the people do that so that there would be loaves and fishes for everybody. And nobody would have to starve to death. But again, back to verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. I've seen that. power of that Holy Spirit can do that. Keep keep silent before him, before his power. You know, if you read in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know you not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Does it? It doesn't if you still are seeking the covetous practices of them that take the name of the Lord in vain. Or 17 of that same uh, chapter in Corinthians. 
If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. The temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? Ye are. And so, if you, if you are, if your heart is engaged in those covetous practices, if you have developed a, an appetite for benefits at the expense of your neighbor and a taste for the wine of the blood of the world that is provided by taking blood from your neighbor, you're not going to see the evil that comes. You're, and, and you will perish in its wickedness. Now, if you've done something that will destroy your body, God can still save you if you repent. And, and start seeing where you went wrong. And, and a lot of people are going to have that opportunity. And, and best we can do, you know, we should not condemn anyone. Judgment, we leave that to God. First Corinthians 6.19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? He says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 6. It's just, he's telling you. He's telling you how it works. So we need to understand that. And we need to go the way of righteousness. So in quick review, I don't know if we have time for a quick review. But uh, stand upon the watch and set me upon the tower. And we'll watch to see what he will say unto me. And out here in the desert, in the high desert, that's what I did. And this is what I see. And this is what I share. And if you want to support this ministry, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring. Start doing what Christ said to do. Start caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. That's the best way to start to support this ministry. Is to actually do what Christ said. Faith is from the this base Hebrew word that we see in the text. Elif mem nun. Elif being that divine spark. And mem mean the flow of the divine spark. And nun is the fish that swims in that flow. Which is commonly translated believe. This The word we see translated faith. Here, once in the Old Testament... Is Elif Mem Vav Nun Hey. But here we see Be it Elif Mem Vav Nun Tav Vav. There's that Tav Vav again. That connection of faith. Tav is that faith. And it's, it's actually translated office five times. It is only translated you know, uh, faith in in this Habakkuk uh, second chapter. But normally it's office. Because the church is appointed by Jesus Christ. If you meet the qualifications of Christ, Christ said his, his disciples had to do certain things. And this is what we explain in the free church report. And if you do those things with your whole heart, mind, and soul and start to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you because you're sitting in that tower waiting upon the Lord on an individual basis, 
And instead of building the city of blood, this civil cauldron, I have links there on the page to our article, you know, they talk about this cauldron and the, and this, the city of blood and this cauldron that the people build. And it says, we be the flesh. That's where you're at now. You've already done that. But now you want to build the city of Christ in his righteousness. And the only way to do that, so that you're not taking a bite out of one another and becoming this merchandise of men, is to be start following the ways of Christ. And it's not a matter of emotionally pretending to be Christians. It's about doing the will of the Father. Not those who say, Lord, Lord, but he who doeth the will of the Father. And the Father is that you love one another. This is how you love God. You have to love one another in the way that God loved you. Freely give and be freely given to. Forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare is not the ways of God. It's the ways of Nimrod. It's the ways of Caesar. It's the ways of Pharaoh. It's the ways of FDR. It's the way of LBJ. It's the way of Bernie Sanders. <laughs> but it's also the way of Donald Trump. Now, he may want to do it less, but he still created the vaccines. He still is, you know, taking from the neighbor. He's trying to do it less than the other guys. But, you know, if if your enemy drives the sword all the way through you, or just half the way through you, you're still dead either way. <laughs> so, it's not a blessing. You have to turn around your thinking. And don't build a town with blood. But build a society with righteousness, with love, with charity. This is the way of Christ. It isn't the way of the covetous practices and the workers of iniquity. It's the way of righteousness. It's the righteous mammon. And just shaking your fist at the unrighteous mammon and cheating on your taxes is not the solution. There is no trick to salvation. You're either following the ways of Christ or you're following some other way. And so... You know, all I can do is encourage you to do what Christ said to do. And to some degree, I can say, if you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, if you don't put on the wedding garments of Christ, you may find yourself locked out or even thrown out of righteousness, away from righteousness, because you haven't been righteous. And those who do such things, as Paul says, have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. He has this big long list, and you can go read that list. But we've created this molten image of national government, this idolatry, and we've all gone there to get benefits. Our parents have. Now, I never went to public school. But, uh, you know, that, that, God put that path before me. And, uh, Blessed me with that. But God wants to bless you with that and much more. Uh, And you have to start somewhere. You have to turn around and go the other way. So I'm trying to make it clear, and we're going to get into Habakkuk uh, 3 next time. 
But uh, really, I would encourage everybody to go to preparingyou.com, join the email networks. And the purpose of those email networks is not to espouse your particular religious belief or, you know, send uh, URLs to sermons that you like or any of those things. It's to contact and connect with people as close to you geographically as possible that say, that say they're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and gather with them in free assemblies and start really hoping that God breathes his Holy Spirit into your personal temple and shows you what to do. Now, everybody's not going to be perfect. If you go out and get married and have children, all your kids aren't perfect. You still love them. You may scold them from time to time. You may not, you know, uh, give them the keys to the... I was going to say Pontiac or Chrysler, but you probably don't have those keys anymore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my my folks had a Pontiac. <laughs> uh, the the Ford or the Dodge or the Chevy, you know, you, you you tough love for your children. Well, tough love in your congregations, but you show up and you care about them. You want them to start moving according to the Holy Spirit. And you want to know what that looks like. And so you have to go into your own towers. But and wait upon the Lord, but not taking bites out of one another. Doing the opposite of freely giving your blood in a daily ministration of faith, hope, and charity. That alters your relationship with the universe, with God, with the powers that be, and will put you on a different road that will give you in the long run, more protection than I could devise by any other temporal scheme that is out there. You don't want to be following gurus. You don't want to be following anybody but the Holy Spirit. I'm not here to comfort you. I'm not the comforter. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. And the Lord will breathe the Holy Spirit into you if you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness with your whole heart, mind, and soul. That's what you must do. And until then, you are naked in the eyes of the Lord. We never, we never are righteous. We may be clothed with the righteousness of God. And then we won't be naked anymore. But it is God's power that will protect us from when the Chaldeans come. And we'll get into that at another time, but uh, when we we start getting into Habakkuk three, we will start to understand that. Now I've I've added stuff to our page on Mammon. I should put some links. I, they may even be on the page already. I think of these things, but uh, when I go over the recording and get them ready for uh, uh, putting on the page, I will go through and try to add to some of these links that I've already put here on the page. So that you can understand, there's a lot more that I could go into that I haven't gone into that are in these texts. But I'm trying to show you, I don't want to snow you with too much of this, you know, adding letters and everything. But we'll see that when we go to Psalms, because they did it in Psalms, they did it in Proverbs, where they're adding these letters 
some of the same letters I mentioned today because they're trying to tell you that this tower is a tower of faith. It's a tower of righteousness. This is why, and it gives us a much richer view of when Christ said, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now you know what that righteousness looks like. It doesn't look like the covetous practices of the world. It's the exact opposite. It doesn't look like people who go to church for a good feeling. They go to church to do righteous for others in hopes that it will come back to them. They cast their bread upon the waters in hopes that it comes back to them. So join us on the network at hisholychurch.org or preparingyou.com. And until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.